Hi, everybody. This is Drew Cutler from Heologics, and I'm here today with my colleague, Dr. John Tensler. John joined Heologics last May as a senior vice president, and I must say that he brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to our company, both as far as market research in general and specifically with regards to oncology. So I'm absolutely delighted to have John on board, and I've already found he's a font of knowledge that I can turn to whenever I need to do so. And today happens to be one of those occasions. For our podcast today, I will be talking with John and asking him some questions about an area that I would like to have more knowledge about than I currently do, specifically multidisciplinary teams, or MDTs, in the oncology space. So, John, good morning, and tell us, please, a little bit about yourself and your research background. Hey, good morning, Drew. Um, yes, uh, I have a, a doctorate in experimental uh, developmental neuropsychology from Clark University, and after when I was finishing my graduate training and uh, doing some postdoc information, I informed my wife that I would like to get a second PhD in biology. To which he told me, I think you need to get a job. So that's how I ended up in market research, kind of pursuing my, you know, medical interests, but yet the, the creativity of market research always kind of really appealed to me. When it comes to oncology, I've always had a, an interest in oncology, but it really picked up kind of in the early 2000s when molecular diagnostics uh, started being involved in the treatment of oncology, and that's what really got me going. And uh, I've been doing oncology projects ever since. Very good. Well, the world is better for you uh, having made that choice. And let's focus in, John, on multidisciplinary teams, or MDTs, mm -hmm. within the oncology space. Tell the okay. listener, please, briefly, what exactly is a multidisciplinary team? So multidisciplinary team is uh, the attempt by uh, healthcare providers to work together with their colleagues across specialties to help with the diagnostics, the treatment, the follow-up and prognostics of cancer patients. Now the term multidisciplinary team really first started appearing in the literature in the mid-70s. I think 1975 is when it first started coming around in the literature. But it took until the late 90s um, before many hospitals uh, started integrating uh, multidisciplinary teams, or MDTs, in their system. Now, in the U.S., multidisciplinary teams can uh, exist across different treatments and different conditions. Uh, in the U.S., multidisciplinary teams are typically known as tumor boards. Mm -hmm. And if I understand correctly, there are multidisciplinary teams in other areas of medical care, including mental health. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. Mm -hmm. I mean, multidisciplinary teams, MDTs, are best when you have a complex, multifaceted condition that requires uh, expertise from more than one particular specialist. And, John, tell us a little bit about how you became knowledgeable about MDTs. Well, I began hearing about MDTs probably in the early 2000s. As I was doing 
uh, work with oncologists, particularly in dedicated cancer centers. They seem to uh, have developed quicker. And as I was talking with oncologists and oncology surgeons and oncology radiologists, I began to notice they began talking about meeting together as these multidisciplinary teams to discuss uh, their their process and the procedures that they undertook for any given patient. Mm-hmm. And just within the United States, John, which medical institutions have MDTs and which do not? Well, currently right now, uh, all dedicated cancer centers have uh, MDTs. The majority, if not all, academic uh, hospitals have tumor boards. Now, for the smaller community hospitals, it really depends on the size of the hospital, you know, their location. Uh, MDTs tend to be located in urban areas where there's large populations and large hospital systems. But there are a number of smaller community hospitals and community-based oncologists who will participate with the um, on the tumor boards with the hospital that they're affiliated with. So this has occurred particularly over the last, I would say, decade, that the uh, rank-and-file oncologist who's working out of an office has the opportunity um, to participate in a tumor board and gain that shared knowledge. Mm-hmm. And besides the rank-and-file oncologist, who else will sit on the tumor board? What What other professionals will also be part of the MDT? Well, it really depends on the the type of cancer that you're talking about, but oftentimes uh, the oncologist, or in the case of bloodborne uh, malignancies, you'll have the hematologist, oncologist available. You almost always have the pathologist is involved. You also will have the radiologist in terms of not only uh, helping to to interpret the imaging that is conducted, but potential also to uh, apply uh, radiation in the terms of radiation oncologist. You oftentimes, particularly for solid tumors, you'll have a surgeon uh, of some sort. There are dedicated uh, oncology surgeons, uh, but most hospitals will use, you know, thoracic surgeons, uh, neurosurgeons, uh, and the like um, to participate uh, to that extent. You will also have nursing, um, which is often involved in educating the patient. And as we know, oftentimes we'll get uh, more information from the patient than perhaps even the oncologist will. So they have a, a deeper understanding of the patient and their limitations and barriers to treatment. But you'll also have uh, social services involved in case the patient needs uh, travel back and forth to the hospital, um, needs any sort of uh, long-term care post-surgically or post-treatment. Um, so it's a, it's a whole host of of people who uh, get involved in the, the tumor boards nowadays. Quite a few people are involved. Now, does it vary by the size of the institution? So, for example, at a larger medical institution, are the tumor boards generally going to be larger or no? Not necessarily. Um, because they have limited time to discuss any one patient type, they try to be as inclusive as possible. But the pathologist, radiologist, oncologist, and and or surgeons, they're almost always participated in this, as, along with nursing and social services. Now, the need for, you know, subspecialties uh, like pulmonology for lung cancer or interventional radiologists 
for doing very fine biopsies. They uh, may be called in uh, depending on the type of cancer and the initial deliberating issues with the uh, tumor board. Very good. Let's talk a little bit, John, about how MDT helps in terms of the, the care that the patients receive. Why are MDTs an important part of the patient's care these days? How, how do they have an impact on the treatment that these patients, these oncology patients receive? They have a wide host of, of influences. Now, let me back up just a little bit. The, the process in which the MDT meets, um, they meet typically on a regular basis, um, weekly, biweekly, uh, or sometimes monthly basis to review the cases that they have. Now, when a patient case is brought before the tumor board, it's brought at different times along the patient's journey, their cancer treatments. So some tumor boards will only discuss complex cases. So if it tends to be later stage cancers or cancers that are in a a risky location or the patient has particular comorbidities that are difficult to manage, those patients will almost always be brought before the tumor board. What I've found is some of the larger institutions have implemented that all patients be presented to the tumor board, um, even if it's just kind of uh, acknowledging uh, that the patient is is pretty standard and the treatment is pretty obvious, still bring them before. But the initial steps that the the tumor board will make has to do with uh, diagnostics. The reading of initial images, some of the initial tissue samples that they collect in order to confirm a diagnostic. Uh, diagnosis is particularly important, and there's been a number of studies that shown that uh, diagnostics is more accurate when presented before a tumor board as opposed to a single specialty making the diagnostic themselves. Now, the second area where they help uh, when it comes to diagnostics is when it comes to this molecular testing that I mentioned earlier. If, as the science has progressed, and researchers have begun to identify that each cancer has its own personality, so to say, um, in that there are certain chemical drivers and genetic mutations which allow certain cancers to grow. The tumor boards will discuss these potential markers as it not only uh, helps guide the treatment that they will uh, take, but it also guides the treatment sequence and gives the team uh, indication as to the patient's uh, ultimate prognosis at the end. So from the time the patient is initially diagnosed all the way potentially through recurrence and uh, prognosis is brought up in the tumor board. And, John, it sounds like these meetings then that the tumor boards have would be in person, although these days with the pandemic, are they ever done virtually over Zoom, for example? Historically, they've always been done in person, but over the, as you've mentioned, with COVID-19 pandemic happening, um, televisits or telemedicine uh, conferences have been conducted. And actually, what we're finding is that some institutions are leaning more towards the telemedicine aspect of it because it, it's simpler for doctors to be able to attend as well as the, the presentation of materials can be better automated and presented to the team as a whole. 
And do they typically discuss multiple patients at one meeting, or, or how many how many patients are typically part of the discussion at a single session? They typically meet for a couple hours. The tumor boards do, um, although it, it's highly variable. Doctors have told us they typically have between 10 and 15 minutes to discuss any one patient type. So they try to get as number uh, as many patients uh, discussed as possible during uh, the time that they're uh, collaborating, but they don't have a tremendous amount of time to discuss any one patient. And with all the different players that you mentioned who are part of these mm-hmm. MDT sessions, John, I imagine some politics inevitably enter into the picture. I'd like to, to get a sense of what the politics are of the MDT, perhaps to kind of lead us into that, you can outline some of the key decisions that the MDTs are making collectively. What are they actually deciding on? And and then let's get into the politics and, and how these decisions are arrived at. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So there are politics um, in the MDTs, and the politics we found arise when the team is faced with two equally beneficial, potentially beneficial, or risky treatment approaches in terms of which way to go. It's things like, to what extent should we resect the tumor? Should it be a full resection, a partial resection, or a minimally invasive procedure for treatment? I mean, is there a need for pre-treatment before surgery or neoadjuvant treatment um, are, and then what is the form of that neoadjuvant treatment? Is it going to be radiation? Is it going to be chemotherapy? Or is it going to be ablation, uh, potentially by an uh, interventional radiologist? So there are a number of areas that tend to cause politics in these situations. Uh, of course, you know, each doctor is an expertise in their own lane, and rightly so, feel that they have the skill and knowledge to successfully treat patients. It's when you have two of these doctors that both think that they that their approach is equally of beneficial to the patient is when these politics tend to arise. And then who gets the final say if there are disagreements between the members of the MDT? That is extremely variable. I, I know we'll we'll talk a little bit about MDTs outside the US, but what we found is at least within the US there tends to be a more collaborative situation among members of the MDT where the doctors who present the patient to the MDT will listen and take advice uh, from their colleagues. In other areas, the doctor who presents the patient to the MDT is looking to do nothing more than to validate the approach that they think is best. So they're kind of taken in. It's like, well, I want to do A, B, and C, and unless someone in the M- in the MDT can come up with uh, a valid reason for not doing that approach, uh, A, B, C is usually what's done. I see. So ultimately, how long does the decision process take? You mentioned it's 10 to 15 minutes per patient. Are decisions always arrived at in that kind of time frame? Uh, almost always, unless there's insufficient data. Um, in the case where uh, I've mentioned in terms of diagnostics, um, once they've done the initial uh, biopsy of the tissue, the cytology and the morphology, um, they've used the imaging, they have a pretty good idea of what the tumor is and what stage it is. 
but there are certain tumor types, particularly in the lung, in the colon, and in the brain, that the team really needs some of this molecular data in order to make a final decision. So if a patient has presented to the tumor board before this information is presented, the tumor board may make the decision at that point, well, we need these findings from the molecular data. Uh, so they will help guide the pathologist in conducting those additional assays uh, so that they will have the data in which to make informed decisions. So once all is said and done, John, and the team has arrived at a decision, what happens next? It typically falls into the purview of whatever decision is made. So, for example, if it is determined that the patient is not eligible for surgery, uh, or resection, the care will fall into the lap of the treating oncologist. If, however, the team decides that resection or some sort of a partial or full resection is necessary, then the surgeon uh, basically takes care of that patient from that point forward, follows that patient through recovery, and then the patient is turned over to the medical oncologist. As you alluded to, let's talk about how things look outside of the United States. Where do MDTs exist ex-U.S., John? Outside the U.S., they exist in almost all developed medical countries. So Europe, Japan, China, Australia, South Korea, and to some extent in Brazil, um, although Brazil is, is just coming up to speed. Um, but they uh, kind of exist all over the place and uh, their growth and influence is, is continuing. And are they modeling their MDTs after hours, or, or are they radically different from our model? How do they compare? They, they're very similar, keeping in mind that even our MDTs are designed uh, after best practices, so everybody's kind of following the, the same pattern um, in terms of their structure. Where do you see MDTs in, say, five or ten years? How are they going to evolve from where they are now? Or do you, do you feel they'll be basically operating the same way they do right now, John? I think they're going to be operating functionally the same. I believe they're going to be starting to use new tools. The use of artificial intelligence has really started to make an impact in cancer and cancer diagnostics. Keeping in mind, there is so much information about oncology, and it's, it's the field that is exploding in growth. I A couple months ago, uh, I was doing an interview with an oncologist, and I asked the oncologist, how do you keep up with all the literature that's published about, you know, the cancer types that you're looking? And he informed me that it's true, that it's almost difficult to keep up with you know, everything being published and everything being studied. And he cited that there were, you know, close to 1,400 cancer articles published in the past year when he talked, which, you know, as you can imagine, is, is very difficult for, you know, any human being to keep up with. So some of these companies are turning to artificial intelligence to, you know, not only analyze all this literature, um, but also to look retrospectively at the outcomes of former tumor boards so that they can project and look at prognosis based on what they've actually done in the past uh, as opposed to, you know, theoretical constructs or guidelines that are developed by larger organizations. 
Very good. John, before we close this discussion, is there anything else about MDTs that you feel we've left out? Any salient points about these boards that, that you feel we should also discuss? MDTs are a vital part of cancer treatments. We're learning more and more that there's no such thing as just a single cancer, um, that every tumor has its own personality, its own drivers, and its own receptivity or resistance to different treatments. And it's only through bringing these big brains together and working collaboratively are we best able to treat these patients and, you know, to guarantee them, you know, minimally invasive procedures, uh, which won't impact the rest of their lives, treatments that are more likely to be highly successful, but yet minimize the risk and side effects that the patients may have, and overall, you know, helping with the long-term care provided by nursing and social services to help that patient's uh, quality of life continue to uh, stay high. So, you know, I look forward to, you know, the continuing growth of uh, MDTs in the, the cancer centers that we do research in and look forward to uh, seeing what tools they're going to be using next to help their process. Well, it sounds like in the end the patients are really benefiting from these MDTs and from the information you gave about artificial intelligence. It sounds like things can only get better in the future for the patients. Well, John, this has been very interesting, and I hope for you, the listener, this has been helpful and informative. John, do you want to share your contact information in case the listener would like to follow up with you uh, with any questions that they might have? Absolutely, absolutely. I can be reached uh, by email at John Tansler, that's J-O-H-N dot T-A-E-N-Z-L-E-R at heologics.com, or uh, you can also call my cell at 215-726-2708. Very good. And if you'd like to reach me, I'm at Drew Cutler, that's D-R-E-W dot C-U-T-L-E-R at heologics.com, again, H-E-A-L-O-G-I-X dot com. Or, as you can hear the phone ringing, you can call me at 610-246-0961. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast today, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Bye-bye now. Bye now.